This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my high performance co-host, Jon. High performance, so I'm uh, heavily interconnected with all the stuff. Well, Sounds you painful. are plugged in. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anybody thinks of the Matrix, that's not what we're talking about here. Indeed, indeed. We are talking, however, about high-performance computing and what that means. High-performance computing, supercomputing, and that's not just a computer that's super, that's an actual supercomputer. It's a computer wearing and, spandex underwear. Uh, what about a cape? Obviously. Does it have a cape? Okay, just making sure that we understand the, the parameters mm-hmm. of a supercomputer. Anyway, with that, uh, we're going to talk with people who are far more experienced and knowledgeable about this world, even though Jon did spend some time back, way back when, in uh, in this world himself. But we're going to be talking to uh, Volta and Valerio from Surf about uh, their latest supercomputer, Snellius, and uh, what it's like to be in the supercomputer world. Let's do it. So we're joined here today by Walter and Valerio from from Surf. Is is it Surf or Surf Sara? Surf. Surf Surf from the start of this year. Ah, rebranding, I see. So first of all, thank you for for both joining us. Uh, Really, really interested to get into the topic of HPC or high performance computing, but perhaps it'd be a good good place to start would be um, have you each introduce yourself to the audience a bit. So, Walter, please uh, go ahead. Okay, uh, my name is uh, Walter Leon. I am uh, mm-hmm. currently uh, manager of the research services at uh, Surf, and uh, yeah, my background uh, I have a background in uh, numerical mathematics. I uh, used to work for the Center of Mathematics and Computer Science in uh, Amsterdam from the early 80s. There I've been working as a scientific programmer and user of all uh, Dutch national uh, supercomputers. Uh, uh, Around 2000, I left CWI and went to uh, product software development company for a couple of years. 2007, I joined what nowadays is called SURF. Uh, starting as an HPC consultant, soon became a team lead of the supercomputing team. And now as of five years, I'm uh, heading the department where also the supercomputing team is part of. Fantastic. And uh, Valerio, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hello, everyone. So my name is Valerio Quadrano. I am uh, originally from uh, Romania. My uh, background is in uh, computer architecture, a field in which I uh, uh, finished my PhD in 2011. Then, uh, then I uh, came to the Netherlands and uh, did uh, several postdoctoral studies in like uh, accelerated computing and embedded computing. So, yeah, all forms of computing. And since 2014, I uh, work with uh, Surf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started as an HPC consultant. And uh, gradually, I uh, went into machine learning and uh, managed to uh, uh, yeah, work in a group that I led, the high-performance machine learning group. And uh, mm-hmm. since about one year, I am uh, leading the high-performance computing and visualization team that is uh, responsible for the Dutch national computing infrastructure, Snellius. Mm-hmm. 
and Lisa. Fantastic. Well, let's let's get into it then. I, I think the first question, probably to kind of set the scene a little bit, is first of all, what what is HPC? What is high performance computing? Yeah, I think the the name is uh, more or less uh, self-explanatory. Of course, uh, everyone knows probably what computing is. High performance means that we are using very large infrastructure, so big systems uh, with uh, very high top speed. And the key of everything is uh, how can you organize using multiple computers working on the same uh, problem and mm -hmm. the hardware we are using for this is uh, typically completely targeted at uh, doing this. So it's not a typical, uh, just a cluster with uh, Ethernet uh, connections, uh, but it is uh, really something special. Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of uh, HPC clusters that uh, I'm familiar with from previous lives, you know, it, although, you know, yes, computer hardware itself has got more high performance over year, whether you're looking at Moore's law or anything else. Um, you're really talking about several orders of magnitude beyond, you know, someone's very fast kind of home machine or server that they, they may be using. You're talking about, you know, a, a massive array of, you know, computing and processing power to solve you know, pretty fundamental um, sort of challenges that people are facing. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, we are talking about uh, hundreds or even thousands of uh, very uh, high, uh, uh, heavy servers. Uh, mm -hmm. And every server in itself is, uh, is a computer with uh, uh, the current system. We have uh, AMD ROM sockets mm. so every single server has 128 cores and uh, we currently have uh, some uh, five six hundred six hundred of those nodes and it will be extended in the future if you look at the total system then i always try to explain that uh, supercomputer at least at least in in the netherlands is uh, somewhere between 1000 and 10,000 uh, uh, PCs or laptops of uh, people who typically can have, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's even even uh, bigger. So it's uh, between ten thousand and a hundred thousand uh, systems. Also, if you look at the end state of the system that we will reach in two thousand twenty-three, if you look worldwide at uh, the largest systems, then you should even think about a factor of uh, up to uh, one million. Uh, so it's it's. Uh, and what's also different in uh, such a system that is the internal networking uh, where uh, typical uh, users know their uh, uh, internet connection at home, which uh, is uh, perhaps uh, 100 megabits or some people having one gigabit. And I don't talk mm. about uh, some exceptions, uh, but uh, if we look at these systems, internal uh, connections, uh, the slowest one in our new system are 100 gigabits. And, and that can be done bidirectional, and it can be done between every single node without uh, any uh, influence on, on the other node. So every single node can talk to every single other node at the speed of 100 gigabit. And if you look at uh, 
the 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 what is it, what's called the, the waiting times or the latencies. Uh, gamers are always talking about uh, ping times. Then yeah. uh, the the hardware latencies. You are talking about hundreds of nano nanoseconds. If you look mm -hmm. at application uh, latencies, then you are talking about the latency sending from one byte in an application on the server to an application on another server uh, where you can directly start working on it. You are talking about something like a microsecond. Yeah, got it. Uh, got it. I think it's so, fair to say that these days the interconnect between the nodes is more important if you look at HPC versus non-HPC than in the olden days. Because I remember, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, the hardware itself became very exoteric, very exotic, very special. While these days you're looking at more regular, high-end but still regular server architectures, but the interconnect between them and the way that your memory can be shared and stuff like that, that's where the real differentiation lies. That, that's correct, but uh, there always has been and there always will be, of course, uh, one or two orders of magnitude in the communication speed between the, the processing units and the uh, interconnect between the processing units. And whether or not you are using uh, commodity, more commodity-like uh, architectures, uh, that doesn't make any difference. But you, you are right in the sense that uh, in the early days there were real, always uh, special uh, processing units that you didn't encounter in uh, PCs. But uh, nowadays you are looking at uh, the, the very same architectures and whether you are looking at CPUs or GPUs, architectures are the same. You are only talking about difference in core counts. And, <laughs> or in, 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 in streaming modules, if you look at, um, at uh, GPUs. I mean, old HPC for me is still the picture of the old Cray systems with little benches you could sit on. <laughs> you don't have that anymore, sadly. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that we've been kind of talking a lot about so far is, is like the hardware differences. Um, Valerio, like, what's the difference on like the software side between you know an HP system and and someone's sort of you know, cluster of servers in Iraq? Um, from a software perspective, I think uh, yeah, we all uh, from the bare metal perspective, we have a, a, a Linux kernel. So of course, mm -hmm. pro probably majority of people are uh, less used to Linux, but uh, this is the operating system of choice for uh, high-performance computing uh, systems. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you would have uh, various uh, levels of uh, uh, system software like drivers and uh, all these interfaces uh, that support uh, this, uh, for example, high-speed interconnect or uh, all these uh, bit more fancy uh, uh, types of hardware and would support certain capabilities. For example, uh, Walter was uh, was uh, saying that uh, you can talk from a, uh, from, an, uh, from a server to another server with a microsecond latency and at 100 gigabit per second uh, bandwidth. But you can also do that, for example, from a, a GPU device, so from a PCI Express device in one server to a PCI Express device in another server, yeah. again with mm -hmm. uh, microsecond latency. But in order to uh, do that, you need uh, to install various uh, software components that would not normally be needed in a regular system. 
Like yeah. this, this technology is being called GPU direct RDMA and uh, you need to enable it. But on top of that, um, of course, the system needs to be uh, usable by scientists. So you need mm -hmm. to, to raise the abstraction. So what you do on top of that, you start uh, uh, installing uh, uh, numerical libraries like the math uh, libraries, uh, Intel MKL or uh, similar libraries. Mm -hmm. uh, they start uh, installing uh, uh, compilers with uh, various flavors because you would have, uh, at least in these days, you have heterogeneous systems. So you don't normally have a single compiler. So you would start uh, building your software stack this way. And then uh, on, on top of that, you will start uh, installing application software in an efficient manner. Because uh, normally uh, scientists are the main experts in their field of expertise, but uh, as systems are getting more and more complex, we, yeah, we believe it's the role of the uh, people working in the supercomputing center to make sure that the software is uh, high performance. I mean, we've mentioned a number of times um, supercomputer and, and HPC. Like, is is every uh, HPC a supercomputer, or is every supercomputer an HPC? Is are they are they synonymous, or is there a difference there? Uh, I think uh, you could uh, see them uh, maybe synonymous, but uh, these days. But I would say that uh, yeah, a supercomputer. Uh, should be at least uh, in the in the top 500 supercomputer list in the world. There is this list that uh, appears uh, every six months, and the, I, I would say in order to call it a supercomputer, you have to be on the list. <laughs> I love that list. I love that list. I I've I've been following that for 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 so long, um, and it's like it's one of those sort of very nerdy sort of things just to see like as as the as the technology is coming waves and you see like certain things become more prevalent and they bubble up the stack and then their sort of their time of uh, of at the in the limelight sort of goes down as as they become more legacy technologies and they drift back down and you see the next big wave coming up it's i find it really kind of fascinating so in terms of the um of these systems like Obviously, anyone in this space has been dealing with challenges that a lot of um, a lot of developers are only really starting to to think about more and more seriously. You know, uh, a supercomputer or an HPC environment is, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of of cores um, of you know, processing power available, and you know, you, Walter, you mentioned, you know, 128 cores per sort of per server is pretty standard on, on the, the systems that you're rolling out. But that level of parallelization is not really like, it's not what normal people are able to even deal with or think how to, to develop against. So, you know, you, you obviously you're looking at some some reasonably sort of specific workloads, but what what are some of the challenges of you know scaling scaling um, workloads or deployments that a supercomputer can actually take advantage of? Um, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> I guess the one of the challenges is to 
indeed distribute work uh, to this uh, large array of, uh, of servers uh, and to uh, coordinate work uh, efficiently. So, uh, mm -hmm. of course, it's this uh, super high-speed network uh, that uh, connects all these nodes. But uh, obviously, the compute power, so the, the speed at which uh, uh, the servers could process data is way higher than the interconnect speed. Yeah. So you should, uh, first of all, try to minimize uh, your communication needs in order mm -hmm. to be sure that the servers can ingest data and can process data uh, continuously in some sense. And yeah. this uh, problem is even more exacerbated when you talk about uh, GPU computing that have an even faster speed of processing. And in order yeah. to keep their arithmetic logic units full, you kind of uh, have to do a lot of uh, data movement magic. I think that's uh, mm. that's complex. So if I have it yeah. working on my laptop, I can just give it to you and it'll work perfectly on the supercomputer, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it also, oh, anytime soon. It also has to do with uh, the problem size you are looking at, of course, because uh, yeah. uh, you, you cannot scale indefinitely. So if you only have a small amount of work, you cannot distribute it of more cores than the amount of work you have, of course. And uh, if you, if you, typically, and that's, that's the most simple case to, to think about, uh, people are uh, computing on, on uh, grids. Uh, think about uh, if you, if you look at uh, the, 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 the earth, you can think of a grid over the covering the earth uh, on a few kilometer by a few kilometer grid cells. And also in the vertical layer, if you go in the atmosphere, you have a couple of layers and you can increase the, the precision you are doing your computations by uh, using smaller grids. And uh, you can also think if you have to do a computation of something that develops over time, you will do a simulation where at every time step, literally, you uh, compute a new solution over what's going on. If you increase the, the resolution, so go to smaller uh, uh, space dimension uh, size, you also have to lower your step size. And then you have three space dimensions, you have one time dimension, and mm -hmm. increasing the re resolution by a factor of two, you already have to increase the number of computations by a number of uh, Two to the power four, so sixteen times more uh, computations, and that doesn't the you, the memory you need for doing this doesn't fit uh, on your laptop, and only when you go to those very large problem sizes you will be able to distribute literally all the work that is needed across all those servers. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit on a single server. Yeah, and, and given, given, and the, the, this is one part, and the other part, of course, uh, you cannot take any algorithm and expect that you will be able to make a parallel implementation out of this. So also the, the algorithms you try to implement on a computer should allow for this uh, type of uh, parallelization. Yeah, I think a simple example there is that a maximum is easy to parallelize because you can do local maximums and then take the maximum of the maximums. But taking an average is a lot harder because an average of the averages is not the average. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, you know, certain workloads um, can only be parallelized so far. Well, 
I'm I'm assuming that means that you know you the you don't ever really want the supercomputer to be sat idle. So um, I'm assuming that means that multiple people and multiple workloads are often on the on the system at the same time. Like how how does that do you carve the whole cluster up into multiple segments and so people are constrained in that or does it just kind of ebb and flow and people get what they want or how how do you how do you deal with that sort of scheduling this is done uh, completely automatically and you are completely right uh, except for very few uh, benchmarking cases no one is using such a system uh, in, mm. in one job so you can imagine that it would be possible, but uh, also in this, in our case, it's a national facility. We have to facilitate all researchers in the Netherlands, but also if you look at all other uh, supercomputers, uh, there are many different users. So our typical system, you see tens of users uh, during daytime who are uh, submitting jobs. Uh, and mm -hmm. they are just requesting a number of nodes for a given amount of time. And then there's an automatic scheduling system that tries to fit everything in the system. So trying to fill it as good as possible. And that's mm. completely automatic. And do you use okay. something like C groups to make sure that there's no noisy neighbor effect or at least reduce the noisy neighbor effect on the, the multi-currency? Uh, that, that, that's important if you try to share nodes. And uh, because we now have very large nodes, uh, mm -hmm. we will also share some of the nodes. But typically what you want on these systems is that people are using full nodes okay. of uh, multiple uh, nodes or, or in reality many nodes of course because <laughs> that's the reason you build these uh, systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you have varying use cases, people doing uh, large simulations but also people who do a lot of, of smaller simulations. And then you can also use it by running many of those uh, simultaneously. I mean, how might be a different question, difficult question to answer, but how is how do you see the the world of um, HPC and super supercomputing being um, like? How is it different to like a, a more typical IT infrastructure sort of? Um, or I, you know, typical IT role. What, what sort of, what are some of the challenges that you think are unique to the HPC world? Maybe, maybe Valerio. Um, so uh, one of them, uh, just linking back to uh, the the previous topic, is uh, allowing uh, users to. Uh, to not influence each other, so to make the best uh, possible use of the system, because it is a multi-tenant system that has some mm -hmm. uh, shared components. For example, the, the storage tends to be shared. Uh, these large systems tend to have a shared parallel file system being called, that is being mm -hmm. used by all users. And sometimes uh, you might have a, a one user that stresses the file system, and then you you might want to somehow uh, assure some quality of service. So these are challenges that you nor normally don't uh, necessarily see, especially when you don't have this uh, multi-tenant uh, environment. Uh, other than that, uh, another challenge is to uh, make sure uh, that you have a, a working and optimized software stack. 
because since you have to uh, gather for a, a very broad audience, uh, um, like the all the science in the Netherlands, um, you need uh, you need to have a very efficient software stack and broad software stack, and that that has to always be uh, kept in check. Mm. Mm. And scientific software is not always uh, easy to manage. <laughs> I, what happens with um, yeah, obviously multiple people, multiple workloads. Do you sort of do you have services where you you help people kind of optimize their workloads and things like that as well? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's actually a, a very good uh, question because uh, we are. Um, the team that manages the infrastructure uh, is formed of uh, system administrators that uh, make sure the system is operational, but also mm -hmm. uh, application uh, experts that guide the users in using the system. And that can go from uh, yeah, simply uh, supporting the users with the uh, best software installations, but even to uh, do parallelization work together with, uh, with the users. So say they yeah they have a code running on their laptop, and they want to use a, a multi-node uh, yeah setup in uh, in the supercomputer. We can also have projects with them, and we do uh, where we assist them in achieving that, or even move to a different computing paradigm such as GPU computing. Mm -hmm. What what about the um, the sort of organizational differences uh, in terms of sort of you you're operating this as a as a service that uh, you know researchers are able to consume but you're also um you know th this is a sort of gov government run or government funded environment but i'm guessing there's also um you know commercial organizations can also get involved so you know how do you how do you sort of um deal with multiple different organizations and sort of isolation of their data and you know not just their compute power but making sure that there's privacy between sort of different workloads yeah, we are uh, primarily uh, tar targeting uh, the dutch research uh, community and mm -hmm. uh, there are very few uh, exceptions uh, where uh, industry uh, will get access to our systems, but that's typically, mm. uh, yeah, uh, it's called uh, pre-commercial uh, type of uh, work. Uh, it should be also typically be allowed to share it uh, to the scientific community what's being done there. And we will only sell a very limited amount of uh, time on the system because it's completely funded by our Ministry of, uh, of uh, OCW. Got it. And what about and, privacy stuff? Because I'm assuming so, there's also some DNA research being done on the environment and that might have medical implications? Yes, we... we, we do we we do have users uh, who uh, process uh, this uh, this uh, type of data, uh, and there what we can offer is uh, the, the standard uh, Unix uh, uh, security measures, but that's uh, based on uh, file level access. We do not mm. split uh, to file systems, 
but we have a very special project, which is the, the Odyssey project, where we even uh, can work with the data coming from the Statistics Bureau in the Netherlands, the CBS, which is uh, governed even by uh, special laws because their data is uh, top, uh, uh, not, 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 not secret, Sensitive. but uh, confidential. It's, it's a personalized uh, data. And what the researchers uh, want to do is uh, combining the data from CBS with their own data. And for doing this kind of research, we have special uh, uh, environments where we use the virtualized uh, uh, nodes uh, where we can do the processing, where no uh, copies are made uh, on, the, on the file system. So enters the system and it leaves the system without being uh, able to materialize them. It's all in RAM disk then and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that you say virtualized, is that actually virtual machines that you're running with KVM or something or just a C group? It's no, it's, it's, a, it's a virtual machine. Okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. mm. I think one of the things that's changed drastically over the last you know, certainly 10 years at least is that you know public cloud has become uh, far more prevalent far more easy for uh, organizations to, to consume compute power almost at will has that had any sort of impact on the supercomputing world at all until now uh, not too much uh, but mm. it's you, you are completely right. You, nowadays, you can uh, get uh, also, uh, you, uh, John mentioned, uh, Cray systems, which uh, nowadays, of course, is uh, HPE, but they mm -hmm. still use the, the Cray brand. Uh, you can get Cray capacity in commercial clouds. Uh, but the, the real difficulty is uh, if you want to process uh, enormous amounts of data or generate enormous amounts of data, you're probably paying more for mm -hmm. the data transfer than for the computation itself. Mm -hmm. Typically, when you look at the tariffs, but it's something we don't do frequently enough. Uh, if you have your own uh, hardware and are able to run it at uh, what we do typically is 80% uh, usage. It's far more cost effective than uh, buying this uh, capacity that has to be flexible and elastic uh, in uh, cloud uh, solutions. Uh, so it's always more cost efficient to do it yourself or to provide it as a service to uh, research uh, communities. This may differ, of course, in a couple of years. So you have to, to mm -hmm. look at this uh, carefully. But nowadays, uh, and also if you look at what's happening everywhere else in, uh, in research communities, uh, whether academic or whether uh, it is uh, in a commercial uh, landscape, uh, then uh, people still stick to their own uh, HPC solutions. Only when you, when you want to do a quick uh, computation for a limited amount of time, then it makes sense to, to do it in, in the cloud. Have you, have you started to see the, the sort of the life cycle of, of jobs evolve? So for example, do people now sort of pilot and develop stuff more on cloud? And then once they've sort of got something that they think is, 
is closer? Is that when then the, the sort of the jobs arrive at you and for, for scaling out and that sort of thing? No, I think it's more typical that people are doing their research on their own laptop or in the local mm. clusters in the research departments. And when they need more capacity, they move to us. But uh, this is not something uh, new. This is something yeah. that's going on since we are offering this service and we do this. We started this in uh, 1984. So this is the seventh mm. generation uh, supercomputer and the research community in the Netherlands who is in need of computing capacity knows where to find this capacity already for a very long yeah yeah it also yeah. sounds like this is not just a supercomputer in isolation but more of an ecosystem around the supercomputer as well that allows high bandwidth traffic of data sets maybe even presenting data sets available already because i'm if i'm not mistaken the surf organization already has big data sets available for research one of the tier something sites for cern for instance or it used to be in any case still still the case i think so it's not just you have a big hunk of metal there with CPUs and cores and memory. It's also the access to it, making it available, making it easy to use. And even if cloud at some point becomes, well, they will become faster and faster all the time. There will always be one step further where you will end up in the also getting bigger and faster all the time HPC world. So even if clouds come faster, you still be missing that ecosystem that really makes supercomputing useful in reality, I guess. And we're back. So that was a great first part of the interview because we spent more than an hour with uh, Walter and Valerio. So no way we're going to put it out in one episode. Uh, but I, I think it was very interesting. It was for me at least mm -hmm. a nice go back to my early HPC days. So I, I do love talking about this stuff. We don't talk about it enough on the podcast, I think. So this was kind of my push towards for, for Dave to talk more about HPC. And we'll see how this works in the future. If our listeners enjoy this content, please let me know so I have more ammunition to, to, to suppress all Dave's rejections <laughs> for this. Uh, it's always fun. It's always fun. Like uh, my my HPC and cluster computing and uh, all that sort of stuff is, is still there in the back of my memory. Um, not quite the same scale that you were operating at, but... Uh, yeah, I've got a I've got a soft spot for this kind of stuff. It's it's cool. It's super. Who can it be bad? <laughs> anyway, unless you have anything to add, nothing else from me. Then a big thank you to Walter and Valerio. We'll hear more about them uh, from them next episode. But until then, that's all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast just by becoming a patron. Every contribution does help. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell to do all the YouTube stuff. Dave, you see him smiling. That's that's his life. I mean, he's our new super social media person now. So do that for him. Make him happy. Not. You can go to www.drawingalpha.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, information about podcasts, uh, links to Twitter, other ways to consume the podcast. You can send email uh, to podcast.drawingalpha.org as well. If you have any hints, tips, tricks, or things you like or dislike about the podcast, please, we are listening. Until next time, when we talk about HPC again, my name is, uh, well, apparently very, very much interconnected, Jon. My name is The Caped Crusader. It's my superhero name. See? See yeah, what I did there? But you don't, you're not wearing your mask there, so it's not going <laughs> to help. But anyway, well, me and Super cape, Dave are looking forward to talking to you again <laughs> next week. <laughs> See you then. Bye-bye.